Mark chapter number 12, and we're going to start in verse number 13 this morning. Mark chapter 12 and verse number 13. And they said unto him, certain of the Pharisees and the Herodians, to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they said unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, Who is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, Thank you for another time you've given to us. And Lord, I pray this morning that you will calm our hearts. We live in a busy time. And Lord, I pray that we will focus on your word. Lord, I believe there's lots here to be said about control. And you are in control. Lord, help us to look to you. Pray you bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Things are heating up here in Jerusalem. Jesus has offended the religious powers and they're out to get him. In John, or sorry, Mark chapter 11 verse 18 and, the, and sought how they might destroy him. That's what the religious leaders had already convened. And they wanted him dead. And they, they had, they, they didn't hide that desire at all. So they come to him in an effort to lay a trap. They wanted Jesus to make a verbal misstep and so they could use that to their advantage. And and the text before us uh, this morning is a series of attacks launched by the enemy. And the goal in all these attacks is to discredit him before the people and and then accuse him of something before the state. Uh, They're just looking to any way to accomplish their desire, and that's destruction. They are trying to demonstrate that they were in control. We're in control here, Jesus. Not you. We are. And the Lord in turn shows them that they weren't in control at all. That He's in control. And I really think this Scripture, this story, uh, gets right to the heart of whose we are and who do we serve. Who owns you? Who, who do you serve? Who is in control? In your life. And the Lord has something for us this morning. And even for those, uh, for us this morning who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we, we should know and understand that He is in control. And for those who do not know Him as your Lord and, and Savior, He is still in control. Amen? He's still the God of this universe that has not changed. And there's an obligation for us to serve Him. And He wants us to know Him and He wants us to serve Him. So we see first of all here in verses 13 to 15, the tack, the conspirators, uh, they, they form the group, the pack here in verse number 13. And they said, send unto him certain of Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, if you were looking for two polar opposite groups, you have found them in this verse. The Pharisees and the Herodians. They were 
I mean, they were opposing each other on every side of the coin. And we'll look at that uh, this morning. The Pharisees were the religious conservatives of the day. Now, we have seen the Pharisees numerous times as we've traveled through the book of Mark. Extremely legalistic. I mean, extremely. And they tried to keep the very letter of the law of God perfectly. They didn't have a perfect heart, though. The very name Pharisee means separatists. The separatists. Those separatists, and though trying to apply the Word of God, they were so self-righteous and so full of pride, it was unbelievable. They had been rebuked by Jesus numerous times, as we have seen in the study of Mark. And they were, they were religious, but it was just merely an external uh, religious system. It was not of the heart. It was not of the heart. They had no real relationship with God. And yet the Pharisees were very nationalistic in their political views. They hated being under the rule of the Romans. They wanted to be free. The Herodians, they weren't religious. They were a political party uh, among the Jews who were supporters of King Herod. They enjoyed the benefits they received from because of being of the Roman occupation. Uh, while the Romans controlled their country, they enjoyed religious freedom, uh, protection, prosperity, and King Herod supported the Romans and sought to bring the Roman culture to Israel. So, two opposing views, right? The Pharisees over here said, we don't have nothing to do with the Romans. The Herodians are like, the Romans are the best ever. You know, there was two polar opposites, and now these two come together. It was a very unnatural union. Uh, they were not inviting each other to their children's birthday parties if they did that back then. You know, they weren't doing that. They were polar opposites. The only common goal that these two groups had, the uniting factor, the uniting factor was they hated Jesus. That was the uniting factor. They hated Jesus. And their desire was... At the very least, he removed from the scene that he's no longer influencing anybody, discredit him, and best, see him die. Get rid of him. That was their desire. Uh, there are two forces that have power to unite people for good and evil. The love and hate. We see it today, folks. You know, the forces of right, you know, uh, trying to see something good that, that go forward. Uh, I was not around in the 60s when uh, the civil rights movement in the United States really uh, took wing and saw rights for black folks in America. But that was right, amen? Absolutely right. Shouldn't have been in the 60s. Should have been long, 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 long ago before. But that was right. It was love. It was the right thing. And I could think on the other side of wrong and hatred, uh, the quest to destroy others, I think of the Holocaust. That was hate. Destruction. That was wrong. Millions killed. It was wrong. And so we, we can see examples in the secular world for that. Hey, it happens in the spiritual world as well. We need to be making sure we're loving and showing it. And these men were brought together in the common hatred of Jesus Christ. And they saw Him as a threat to the way of their life, the way that they wanted to live. You know, the church and a church body should be united by the bond of love. Amen? That's what it should be the bond of, of love. Uh, when we are controlled by love, we'll seek good and we will not seek evil. 
Well, may love be our calling card as such as we travel through this world, John 13, 35. But this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. So folks, as Christians, it's not an optional. Today I will love and tomorrow I will not. No, you are to love. That is what we're supposed to do. We're to love one another. So we kind of get the background of the the group that's against Jesus. And we see the conspiracy here. These men come together in an effort to catch Him in His words. latter part of verse 13. To catch Him in His words. The idea of hunting or setting a trap. They wanted to outsmart Jesus and get Him to say something that would get Him in trouble with either the Roman authorities or the common people. They thought if Jesus could offend Rome, then well, we could label him as uh, uh, you know trying to cause an insurrection in, in the country and the Romans will come down hard on that and they'll take care of the problem for us. Or if we could uh, get Jesus to be discredited before the common people, then he would lose his influence, his popularity, his, his fame, like, because that's the way they thought. That's the way their gears were operating. And they said if we could do that, hey, we, we could get in there and we could show them what it's all about. And either way, they were plotting a, a course to take care of this problem. It's a tragedy when people seek to trap others to attack them. Shame on you if you've ever been involved in that. Or if you're involved with it today. I don't know everybody here today what's going on in your hearts and life. That should never be part of who we are. As individual believers, we should never be conspiring to lay a trap for other believer or other people. A loss. doesn't matter. But it happens far too often in our world today. They set it up. When people uh, listen to the words and watch the actions of another, try to find fault in them, and then bring a, a problem, a serious problem to the, the forefront. Hey, you know what love does? It thinketh no evil. That's what love does. It thinketh no evil. It literally means takes no worthless inventory. I'm not, I'm not stacking up. Things that you've said. And I assure you, I don't take notes on what you talk to me about and I, I pull it out later and say, I can't believe that person believed. No! No, it's not what it's about and you shouldn't be doing it either. The reality is, we need to love. Real love does not remember injury. It moves forward. Real love believes, uh, does not believe all it hears about another. So someone comes to me and says, well, did you hear about that person? And when I hear that, you know, just the way I just use that tone, you knew that I was saying something bad, right? Well, same here. I know when something bad's coming around the corner when someone says something like that. I'm not going to believe everything because I love that person. There could be a miscommunication. Maybe, hey, hey, words are important, right? They're really important. So sometimes we miss a word or miscommunicate somehow. Hey, let's get it together. We're not here to tear each other down. We're here to lift each other up for Jesus Christ. That's what love does. I'm not looking for faults. Love does not look for faults in others. Because if we're going to be really honest, all of us have them. We can't get up on a pedestal and say, look at that person's fault. Look at that person. I'm pointing out there. I'm not thinking anybody right now, okay? Just pointing out there. No, because we all have them. We all have the sin nature. 
You know, if we practice that love does not remember injury, love does not believe all, all it hears, and love does not look for fault in others, if that attitude was practiced in our hearts, boy, there would be a whole lot less problems in life, wouldn't it? There would be less problems in church, at workplace, in the family. Everywhere there would be less problems. Who wants to have less problems? All right, everybody does. Yeah, <laughs> some people raise their hand right away. You know, absolutely, yeah, two hands up. That's right. Well, but we just need to practice what the Word of God tells us. The biggest problem with the Pharisee Herodians were that they were lost men who were operating in the power of the flesh. They were not saved. Though they were religious, they did not know Jesus as their Savior. They did not trust the Lord. They did not have salvation. So I can understand why they do some of the things they did because they're lost. Hey, Christian, let's make sure we're not falling in that category. We know Jesus Christ, amen. We've we come to a point in our life where we've accepted what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We trust Him as our Savior. We do not operate like the world does. We need to show love. Hey, talked about calling card just a few moments ago. Yeah, we love one another. The world needs to see it. Let's demonstrate it. They come with compliments in verse number 14. Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Can you hear the sarcasm dripping off those statements? And I read it that way because when I read it and study the passage, I see these guys did not, they didn't believe this. They didn't believe this. These men come to Jesus and they're trying to trick Him. They come to Him with flattery. And people will do that. They, they'll try to butter you up. I mean, it's happened. They butter you up before the hammer falls, right? They're buttering up. These what these men are doing. They're better. They come to Him with Master. It means teacher. That's what the word means. They begin to share their compliments with Jesus. And you know what they said about Jesus here is absolutely true. Thou art true. That is true. Cares for no man. So that's the idea of fears no man. That's true. Thou regards not the person of man. That's true. But teaches the way of God and truth. That's true. It's all true, but they did not believe a word of it. They did not believe a word of it. There's nothing more insincere than flattery designed to cause Jesus to drop his guard now. This is what they're trying to do. They're trying to butter them all up. Get him thinking really highly of himself. And I can, I can almost hear the sarcasm and the sneering as it's said. They didn't believe this. Now this trick would have worked on an ordinary man, but Jesus was no ordinary man, amen. He knew their motives. He could see the condition of their hearts. And we would do well to watch out for people who try to flatter us. And we should never be on the flattering side of be setting a trap. That should never be part of who we are. Uh, there's people around us who will use those things. And Jesus could have believed everything good they said about Him because it was all true, but he, he kept it in perspective that they didn't believe it themselves. And we need to keep it in perspective when people say things about us. I can remember as a kid, uh, I was about Matthew's age. Actually, I'm pretty sure I was the same size and everything as Matthew. And my Sunday school had a night, Sunday night play about the uh, sower and the seed. And 
Now, I wasn't very good at public speaking when I was Matthew's age, just so you know. So my teacher wanted me to be involved. And, you know, in that parable, there's a part where the sun comes up and it dries up all the seeds, right? They thought I would be a great sun. Sun doesn't say anything. All it does is it comes out and it goes away. I was down with that. No problem. And uh, so just think Matthew size. And they put me in a costume. It was kind of round. And it was kind of the color of the sun. And uh, just with my legs, though, there's no arms. Because the sun has no arms, right? So they put me in this costume. And uh, the church that I was in was quite large. And uh, we had a really large uh, place for the choir. And it was lots of steps to get up there. And they decided that the best place for the sun would be at the very top of the choir loft. And uh, which is thanks, right? I mean, this wasn't really a bad idea. Uh, so uh, I get up there and I'm sitting on the pew. And I'm not saying a word. I'm happy. And uh, then my part comes up where I have to come out and burn up all the seeds. I get stuck at the top of the choir loft in this kind of round suit. And uh, I'm pushing my way through and trying to get around the pews. I fall down and I get back up. I get stuck in some more pews. And I'm pretty sure the story's over by the time I get down to where I should be burning up the seed. You know, and uh, I still remember the laughter. Uh, I mean, I wasn't offended or anything. I was just like, these pews, I mean, I'm that round. I can't get around. And uh, I remember getting down, and they took the, the costume off and things, and uh, we all had a good laugh. And my grandparents, I mean, these are what grandparents do, right? They come to me and like, that was the best, honey. You did such a good job. I'm thinking, I fell down. How is that a good job? And I, I used that analogy, and it, it did happen. It wasn't just a story. It happened. But, you know, if I wasn't careful, I could say, yeah, I was some son, wasn't I? I should get that again. We need to be careful about when people flatter us that we don't start believing everything they say. Uh, maybe another Christmas program, missed lines, and your mom and dad come, oh, you're the best actor! And they have no idea you missed like seven paragraphs of lines. You know, the idea is just keep in perspective, folks. There's a danger that we might actually believe everything people tell us. Well, it's not about people. It's about Jesus Christ. You serve for Him. That's who you serve for. If people know it and they see it or they don't, doesn't matter. You serve for Jesus. You serve for Him. The challenge with their flattery out of the way here in verse 14, they, they figured four statements would be good to get Jesus thinking that He was something. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? With their flattery out of the way, they cut right to the chase. They asked Jesus about paying tribute to Caesar. Tribute was the poll tax that every Roman subject was required to pay each year. The poll tax was a penny or denarius, which was a day's work for the common worker. For both of these groups, this is a matter of separation of church and state. The Pharisees believed that religion was superior to the state, and the Herodians believed that the state was superior to the religion. Herodians probably did not have mind at all paying the tax, 
because they liked all the benefits they got from Rome. Uh, so this is historically what they have written. The Herodians held that the government was dominant over religion, and they would agree that taxes must be paid to Caesar rather than to God. Pharisees, on the other hand, they hated the tax because they detested the Roman rule. And they recoiled at the thought of using a coin that bore a graven image of the emperor. This is a, you know, a historical, again, statement about them. The Pharisees believed that the state and all other power and authority were to be subject to religious rule. Therefore, they were strongly against paying taxes to a foreign king and paying taxes to a secular government that was infringing upon God's rights. That's the way they looked at it. And they came to Jesus asking, can you see how they're polar opposites now? By those statements, they're total polar opposites. The only common factor is they hated God, uh, Jesus and they wanted to see him dead. And they come to Jesus asking him to pay, if paying his tax is lawful or allowed by God. And they're trying to force Jesus in the corner. Can you see it? Oh, you're so nice. You're so true. You're so true. Let's get you in the corner. Let's see what you're going to do here with this Jesus. I mean, I really think they thought they had him here. They said they thought there's only two possible answers, yes or no. If Jesus said no, he would label him as someone who was gathering insurrection against the Romans. The Romans would be there in a second. Out he goes. If he says yes, then he would lose face with the common people who also hated paying the Romans. So they thought they're in a win-win. Doesn't matter. We got this guy. Latter part of verse 15. But he knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And they brought it, and said unto them, Who is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. We see the Lord's answer. Jesus knew their heart. He knew they were nothing but hypocrites. He knew it. He, had, he knew that they had no respect for Him. They knew, he, Jesus knew that they hated him. They knew that they wanted him dead. Knowing their intentions, he confronts them publicly here. Why tempt ye me? Why tempt ye me? With that one simple question, Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of their hearts. He exposes the words as nothing more than insincere flattery. Because you know there was other people around, right? They weren't doing this in the hush corner of a, of a room. They were doing this in public so all could see. And Jesus responds, Why tempt ye me? He destroys the flattery, doesn't He? He removes down that facade. That's not true. That's not true. You don't care. I like, I like that phrase there in verse number 15. But He knowing. But He knowing. These men thought they could pull a fast one. They thought they had him cornered. They thought they could outwit him. They thought they could trap him. They never realized that he could see exactly what they were doing. He could see the very condition of their hearts. And they knew, and he knew, they were hypocrites. Now this is convicting, folks. Jesus knows what's going on in your life too. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows if you're saved. He knows if you're playing church. He knows if you're playing a part so others will think well of you. He knows everything. Hebrews 4.13 Neither is any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto him, unto, sorry, unto him, unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He sees all. So the question is, does, what does he see when he looks in your heart? Does he see 
saving faith? Is he a new creature? Or does he see dead religion and nothing more? And we can deceive others, but we can't deceive him. You know, we can deceive ourselves pretty quick, can't we? But we can't deceive the Lord. He knows the truth. Latter part of 15, again, he says, bring me a penny, bring me a penny. So they come with a coin, Daenerys, as I mentioned, the day's work. And when they brought the coin to Jesus, he asked, who's on this image? Who's the image in this prescription? Who is this? And they say, it's Caesar's. Apparently on the front of the Daenerys, I've never seen one, but this is what I'm told, uh, engraved at the head of Caesar Tiberius, that was the image. And, and in the front there would have been Tiberius Caesar's divine Augustus, son of Augustus. And on the back, now this obviously was in Latin, uh, were the words Pontifex Maximus, high priest of the Roman nation. Those were the inscriptions on the coin. So there's no wonder that the Jews and the Pharisees bristled. They were upset at using these coins. I mean, the bearer of the coin was claiming to be a divinity. Like, he claimed to be God, a God. Caesar, the high priest of the Roman Empire. It's pretty amazing that uh, Jesus didn't even have a penny on him. Bring me a penny, he says. Bring me a penny. He had to borrow the penny to use the illustration. He, he, he's, he said, hey... It's not about Caesar. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God. It's not about this image. It's about serving God. He wasn't serving money, was he? Jesus was never involved with that. He was never a servant to the coin. He was Lord God of creation. We need to keep it understand that we don't get the money mixed up with who's really in charge. It should be God. Jesus answered their question in verse number 17. And Jesus answering said unto him, Render to Caesar things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Jesus answered their question in this verse, but not in the way that they expected. They they really, I mean, I believe that these men sat down and they thought about how can we test him so we can trap him, so we get him, so he's gone. They really thought the only two possible answers was God and Rome. I mean, you, you, you can't have anything else. You know, you, you gotta say it's no, then Romans will get you. And then if you say, you know, you know no, you should be paying it, then the, the common people will, will come after you and, and you'll be upset with you. And we got you. Render to Caesar things that are Caesar's. When Jesus held up that Daenerys, he saw the people you know, were there confirmed that the image and superscription of that Coin was Caesar. In that day, coins that bore the image of the ruler were considered to be property of that person. If you got any money on you today, that's still the way it is today. It's legal tender that the government allows us to use. Okay? Sometimes we forget that. Uh, but the idea is that this is the property of that person, so Jesus says this coin belongs to Caesar. Give it back to him if he asks for it. Give it back if he asks for it. So in this statement, Jesus is recognizing the legitimacy of the state. So it's there. I would remind you as well that we have an obligation to honor the authority of the state that we live in and the country that we live in. Romans 13, 1-7 talks all about that. God determines who our earthly rulers will be and we have a responsibility to obey them. Yeah, I know. 
Taxes, right? Who likes them? Who likes them? The people who lived in ancient Rome enjoyed many benefits by the empire. And I, listen, I'm not trying to paint Roman Empire as the greatest empire there ever was. No, they were, there was a lot of wickedness, a lot of bad stuff. There's no doubt. But under the Roman rule, they enjoyed peace. There was protection. There was justice. The, the Romans made roads that still exist in Europe today. They were road builders. The, they had great roads and many other things. I've seen pictures of aqueducts that they built. They still exist today. All that had to be paid for, so the Romans taxed the people. I understand. It went to a lot of other wickedness. I understand that. But some of it went to that, and it helped. And the same is true today. We certainly enjoy things in our, in our country, in our society today, that must be paid for. Hey, my son broke his hand, or his finger, a couple weeks ago. I'm glad I could go to the hospital and didn't have to pay, I think it was 40 bucks for the cast. I didn't have to pay for a doctor. We are taxes pay for the healthcare system. You know, the roads to bring them to the hospital were paved. I didn't have to worry about bandits being on the road as I went to the hospital. You know, there's police officers around to protect and, uh, you know, we have, uh, uh fire protection, uh, you know, in sense that with our fire departments that are there to help and serve us. Uh, clean water. Clean water. I, I get, and, and water, indoor plumbing. It's fantastic. I know, I know the government didn't, you know, make that, but I'm glad for it. You know, water, I was thinking the, this morning, I was, uh, as I was going around doing things, getting ready for church this morning, I was thinking about the sermon, and uh, I remember my mom telling me that she had to use the washroom, she had to go to the outhouse by the sea. There was no water in her town besides what came out of the spring. You know, and my mom's not that old. She's not 110, folks, I'm going to tell you right now. She's in her early 60s. That's the way she lived in Canada. All right, so the reality is we're blessed. You know, and the taxes pay for that water. And I'm glad that we have a military that protects us and they're to you know, keep away the enemies that would do us harm. All have to be funded by the taxpayer. Now, that doesn't mean I am thrilled when I see how much taxes I have to pay. You know, I don't get around the dinner table and say, thank the Lord I paid taxes today. I don't think that's ever happened. Maybe I probably should. Now I'm preaching to myself. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like the way the government spends all the tax money. No, I don't. But we're still commanded to do it by God's Word. I know, I, I believe we're overtaxed, but until that changes, I still have a responsibility to pay my taxes. God and the state are... Uh, God and state are both authorities, but God is supreme. Amen? State has authority, but God is supreme. That is the biblical view, and that's what Jesus is articulating in these verses. Those who hold this view obey the state as long as the demands of the state do not violate the clear teaching of God's Word. When When God and the state are in opposition, God always wins. God is the final authority. When the state stands in opposition to the Word of God, when we're commanded to, for example, uh, you know, to perform immoral acts or go against our conscience or stand against the clear Word of God, we have a de- clear duty from the Word of God, which stands above all other countries and all other empires and all other whatever kingdoms, we're clearly to stand and oppose the state and obey the Lord. I know that's not real popular, 
But that's what the Word of God says. And I know in our state, our country today, there's things that are occurring, things that are getting mandated, they're not right, they're wicked, they're wrong. And there might come a time when we have to stand. Actually, in ways we are today, standing against things that our government proclaims and tells. But it could get more serious than that down the road. But at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. Amen? That's who we're supposed to serve. That's who we're supposed to follow. What God's Word says. And to God, the things that are God's. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. The coin bore the image of Caesar, and thus it belonged to him. You can't get anything else but that from that portion of Scripture. Give him, uh, give him to him. It's not wrong. However, the same thing does not belong to Caesar is us. We don't belong to Caesar. We belong to God. Amen? We're gods. Just as the coin uh, bore the image of man, all men bear the image of God. I mean, we are created in His likeness. Genesis talks about it. We are created in His image. Jesus saying, give Caesar his money, bears his image, it's his, but your devotion needs to belong to me. Because you bear my image. You're mine. Every human being in this world was created. Created. Not evolved. We were created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26-27. Thus, because He is the Creator, He owns us, and He has the right to demand that we yield ourselves up to His will for our lives. He is the Creator. Listen, even if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is still the Creator. You're still His. Now, He's giving you a free will and you decide what you'll do with it. It's absolutely true. But He is the Creator. If you are saved, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He owns you by right of creation and by the right of redemption. And you need to serve Him. You need to be following Him. Just as Caesar had the right to demand what is his, God has the right to demand what belongs to him. Amen? Absolutely. And we don't mind saying, well, yeah, the government doesn't mind saying, yeah, well, we want, we deserve our money. Give us our money. Hey, we need to serve God too. We need to do what He tells us to do. What He demands of us. Every human has an obligation to give God worship. Because He is Creator. Every human has an obligation to be obedient, to give their praise, to give their love, to give their gratitude. We owe everything to Him. To Him. To God alone. And I'm thankful for the wonderful country that I live in, Canada. I absolutely am thankful. I'm thankful every day for it. But at the end of the day, it's not Canada. It's God that takes care of me. It's God. We owe Him for being for who He is and for all that He gives us. Life, air, water, food, shelter, family. You name it. You bear the image of God. God has the right to tell you how to live. Now, that will cause a lot of controversy with people today. It's like, no, I live the way I want to live. Well, that's called free choice. That's free will. You can, but God has the right to demand it. Absolutely does. He has a right to demand and expect you to obey Him. 
know, He wants you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. He wants you to be part of the family. He wants you to be by right of His, by redemption, just not by creation. I sure hope you know Him as your Savior. That's the greatest decision you can ever make. Now, according to Romans 3, 4, uh, Romans 13, 4, it says the state has the power of the sword. When we fail to obey the state, there are to be consequences, right? You fail to obey the laws of the land, there's consequences, such as fines, privileges taken away, and imprisonment. And, and we, we're thankful. If anything, we'd probably like to see the, the state get a little bit more aggressive on terms for people who have done wicked things, right? I do. I feel that way. I'm going to be honest. You know, uh, some people who murdered, they should never see outside of jail again. You know, that's just that's my own personal opinion. Okay. And, and the reality is, we we appreciate that they do that, and maybe do a bit more would be great. And we have no problem with that. And we think that's right. We and it should be because they have the power of the sword. When we fail to obey the Lord, there's also consequences. So we can't say it's right for the government to do it and then we expect, no, Lord, you can't do that to me. We're in the wrong category. We're on the wrong side of the ledger. The Lord has the right to do that. The Lord has the right to... And I I know that this is not popular and I understand it's not comfortable. But if you reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has the right to send you to eternity without Him in a place called hell. He has that right. He's a just God. And I know that's not popular. And I know that I wouldn't win high awards from that from anybody on earth. That's fine. But that's what God's Word says. And He has that right. Absolutely. Jesus is telling these men and us that we have obligation to honor the rule of the state, but we have a higher obligation to commit our lives to the Lord and to obey Him. Obey His Word. Obey His will for our lives. Yielding to the state is our earthly duty. True it is. Yielding to the Lord is our eternal duty. I'm not talking about an eternity. Eternity starts now. We had a beginning, right? And we were born. A little one came into the world and you're here today. The reality is today we need to serve the Lord. Amen? Not tomorrow. It's not like when I get to heaven I'll serve the Lord. You've missed so much. Serve today. Serve today. I was talking to one of our college and career students, or actually a couple of them, and teenagers this week. I was asking them, who has influenced you in your life for the Lord? Who has influenced you in your teen years to serve God? And I got all kinds of different answers. Answers I never knew about, or people that I never knew influenced their lives. Listen, those individuals, those missionaries, those pastors have determined, I'm going to serve God today. And some of them are just normal Christians, not in the sense of missionaries or pastors or anything, just faithfully serving the Lord. And you need to do the same thing today. View His eternity is starting right now. I'm serving the Lord today. I'm serving Him today. Don't wait till you're 20. Don't wait till you're 25. Don't wait till you're 30 to start serving the Lord. Because the reality is you'll never, you won't do it when you get there. Start today. Say, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I'm not going to care what other people think. I'm going to serve Him because it's about control and God's in control, not me. I'm not... Listen, folks. I've seen it too many times where we think I'm in control. And you know what I've seen? A disaster. 
Not a mess, a disaster. Life ruined because I'm going to do it my way when God says, I have the right, I have, I am the Creator, I am your God, serve me. And we're like, no, nah, I can do it better. You know, we, we put that into context as we think that way in the church setting here this morning. Like, yes, pastor, that's absolutely right. But we get outside the church, we do our own thing, we serve our own desires and lusts or whatever it is. And then we wonder why there's a mess. Yielding to the state is our earthly duty, but yielding to the Lord is eternal duty. Have you yielded your life to Him? Have you said, here it is. Here's my life. Now, I've seen bumper stickers. I understand what people are trying to say. I think I understand what they're trying to say in these bumper stickers of, uh, Jesus is my co-pilot. I think they're trying to tell me that Jesus is in their life, which is great, but the reality is they shouldn't even be in the cockpit. Jesus should be taking care of that. I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm the one driving like this, if I'm the one determining the course, I'm in big trouble. The Lord needs to be showing me where to go and I just follow Him. Just follow Him. Are you are you yielding to him? Are you yielding your life to him? Are you yielding your, his to his authority? Do you live as one owned by Jesus? Are you living that way? Are you serving the Lord or are you serving other masters? Who's in control? Who's in control this morning? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today that can change. Amen. Today you can know. Today you can have the Lord in control. And we would love to show you from the Word of God how to know beyond a shadow of doubt your child of God saved. When they heard the Lord's answer in the latter part of verse 17, so the Lord told them, they marveled at Him. Literally, their mouths dropped. I mean, because they thought they had him. When they got up that morning and whoever came up with this idea, they thought this was it. They thought by the end of the day, Jesus would be a forgotten problem. It would be solved. We would be getting back where we need to be in control. It would be all done. Now this happens. The table's turned, right? They're, they're, what? Unbelievable. They couldn't understand. And they couldn't argue with him, could they? Because they knew he was right. They didn't have an answer and they simply left. And they marveled at him. They just, they couldn't believe it. This morning, don't just simply leave church. Examine your heart. Where are you? Who is in control? Who is in control? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, come to Him. Come to Him. Have you yielded the totality of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you said you're in control, Lord? Take my life. Let it be. Are you truly given to God the things that are God's? Who is in control? It's a question of who is in control. Dear Jesus, thank you.
for all you've done. And Lord, I pray that your word would convict and change lives, not my words. Your word's eternal. Your word changes lives. Lord, I pray that the beginning here this morning does know you as Savior, Lord, that they would get that corrected. They would put you in control. They would accept you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray there be any Christians here this morning who have decided to take the wheel themselves of their life and just do what they want, Lord, and serve other masters. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts. Work in their hearts that they would yield to you. Put you in control in your rightful place. I think if we'll be honest, all of us, there's times where we like to think we know better. Lord, help us to be honest. Lord, I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.